Welcome to Kidney Commute, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation, driven by the interprofessional team with emphasis on the patient voice. In each episode, we will incorporate the perspectives of the different members of the kidney team as well as the patient. Join our huddle on all things kidney health and allow new perspectives to inspire collaboration in your practice. Eligible listeners can earn credit along the way. The Kidney Commute, a continuing education podcast planned by the team for the team. Hello, and welcome to the Kidney Commute, an NKL podcast. My name is Dr. Brian Tucker, and I am a nephrologist at Baylor College of Medicine, and I will be the host of today's discussion. Today, we will talk about salt and sodium intake in the kidney. We will look into recommendations, pathophysiology, challenges, and treatment options for this important topic. Joining me today is an esteemed group of panelists who I will now ask to introduce themselves. Hi, Brian. Roberto Pequafilio. I'm a nephrologist at Arbor Research Collaborative for Health. I'm also the co-chair of the International Society of Nephrology Education Working Group so an education in nephrology enthusiast. And as a researcher, I spent my life uh, researching on uh, chronic kidney disease and its impact on outcomes. Hi, my name is Christina Panay, and I'm here representing the patient perspective. It was recommended to me about 26 years ago to follow a sodium-reduced diet, and I'm very happy to be here with all of you today, and I thank you for all you do for us patients. Hi, my name is Luis Perez, and I am a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Colorado in the renal division. So in the context of this episode, I will also say I'm the renal research dietitian here. I've studied diet and chronic kidney disease over the last seven years, but mostly focused originally on the patients that are on dialysis. And I'm Beth Witten. I am a nephrology social worker by background. I worked in dialysis and three different dialysis clinics for 18 years and have been a consultant with CMS, with National Kidney Foundation, and with the Missouri Kidney Program, where I coordinated patient education classes for a long time. I have been a consultant with Medical Education Institute in Madison, Wisconsin. Excellent. Welcome all. And we'll start off with the first question that I have before we get into this topic. We're talking about salt or sodium. Is there a difference and what is the difference? Luis, what is the difference between salt and sodium? Well, sodium is a mineral, so a nutrient and electrolyte needed for various functions in the body in times of stress and physical activity, such as normal cell function. But from the uh, dietitian and or healthcare provider standpoint, Salt typically refers to table salt, which has sodium chloride within it, about 40% sodium. And of note, one teaspoon of table salt has about 2,300 milligrams or about 2.3 grams of sodium. So food companies may add table salt, sodium, or other forms of sodium, such as monosodium glutamate in prepared processed foods. And so most people think of salt and sodium interchangeably, but there's quite a a difference or a distinction and implication for healthcare providers, because many people or patients may think of not using the salt shakers when trying to control their salt and sodium intake, but that's typically very little in the diet. And so added sodium is the more plentiful supply that people get when compared to table salt. Thank you. Thank you. And Roberto, anything from the physician standpoint about this? 
Well, the, the first thing I was going to say is that uh, I fully agree that sodium is all over the place, right, Luis? You know, the, other than in table salt and the salt, salt that is used in the cooking process, uh, there's a lot of salt used to preserve food. But something I always think it's kind of interesting uh, is to notice that uh, the sodium is also present in the food industry as a way to make food look better and perhaps... Uh, have a, a different consistency. I always think of the example of sausages and how sausages look when you remove sodium from them. It doesn't look very attractive. <laughs> also, the sodium could be used in the, in the processing of food to make food look really fantastic, like adding color to pastrami. <laughs> so they're just uh, some of the examples, you know, how so sodium is useful in the food industry in many, many different ways. But I also wanted to, to say that uh, you can actually find the sodium also in um, medications that you might take. For instance, um, some anti-inflammatory agents, they have sodium in their formulation and also some antibiotics. Wow, that's very interesting. Seems like sodium uh, intake is more than just salt. Keeping with you, Roberto, why do we care about salt and sodium intake in, in the setting of kidney disease? The most important aspect of uh, the impact of sodium intake in health is its effect on blood pressure. I think this is widely known. There's quite a lot of evidence to show that higher sodium intake is associated with the worsening of blood pressure. And that's a big thing when it comes to kidney disease because we need to understand that blood high blood pressure is a major risk factor for, for people to develop kidney disease and also a risk factor for the progression of kidney disease to the advanced stages. So that, that said, I think it, it, it is really important that uh, we discuss sodium and salt intake in the context of kidney disease, because really reducing sodium intake is an opportunity that we have to reduce the risk of progression of kidney disease. Also in patients with other kinds of kidney diseases, not only chronic kidney disease, but other potentially progressive kidney disease like uh, glomerular diseases, uh, the control of salt intake is important, for instance, as a strategy to reduce swelling or edema in patients with nephrotic syndrome. Absolutely, absolutely. Salt intake is, is critical to be aware of. Because it's so critical, is there recommendations or general recommendations for salt intake in the setting of kidney disease? Yeah, so there are several recommendations, but the one I focus on here is if we look at the Kadoki guidelines in 2022, section 6.5, statements on sodium, sodium intake, blood pressure, they state that in adults with CKD 3 to 5, so 1B, CKD 5, or post-transplantation to limit Sodium intake to less than 100 millimoles per day, which is kind of that less than 2.3 grams of sodium per day that I mentioned. And this is for reducing blood pressure, improving volume control. And when you look at general guidelines, the dietary guidelines for Americans, are, when you think about the general population, non-CKD are, are the same. So, however, there are some other recommendations, such as like the AHA, which put recommendations for less than 1500 milligrams of sodium per day for hypertension. And so many people are eating more than the daily recommendations, you know, as we talked about for sodium intake. And sometimes these consequences, you know, aren't noticed right away. Sometimes they are, and other times not for years or decades. 
definitely there's a limit to to salt and sodium intake put on by these guidelines. Roberto, what happens and what's the pathophysiology of why salt can be harmful? Why are these guidelines here? Right, Brian. So, so as I mentioned before, the, you know, salt is deeply involved in, in hypertension, but it's not only a risk factor, as we all know, to stroke and heart attacks, but also to kidney disease progression. There's been quite good uh, science in the understanding of why this takes place, even if it's indirectly uh, beyond the control of blood pressure, which is by itself harmful to the kidneys. So the presence of high sodium in the kidney tissue might lead to the trigger of an inflammatory process and oxidative stress processes that are involved in the progression of kidney disease. And at least, you know, in animal models, or if you use, you know, some biomarkers of kidney damage, this has been shown that, that reducing the amount of sodium that people or animals take will decrease the risk of kidney disease progression. I see. So decreasing sodium intake is very important. Luis, what kind of foods should we look for that have high and low sodium or salt? As far as the high and low sodium foods, processed foods, foods eaten outside the home are where most of the salt and sodium in the diet comes from. This is where industry and food companies and others are preparing your food. And that the research clearly shows that this makes up greater than 75% or three quarters of the dietary intake of sodium in the average American diet. And so when thinking of processed foods, this means condiments, bagged, boxed, packaged goods, which is also a tough one because some of these foods are convenient for you know, older individuals, those with motor dexterity issues, or people that need quick and convenient food to eat. And so these foods are not only convenient, but sometimes cheap to eat. Some meats can be high in sodium, especially if they're added with the sodium solution or brines when processed. The restaurant and fast food locations usually add sodium and salt to their foods. And so when looking for the lowest sodium foods, this would be your fresh fruits, vegetables, and other fresh foods that are usually the, the lowest in sodium relatively. And so recipes that are also made from scratch and or at home can be lower in sodium when compared to other foods. Absolutely. That's, those are really good advice. But let's talk to our patient, Christina. Christina, you've had direct experience with shopping and cooking and trying to focus on a low sodium diet. Tell us about your experience and what you have found helpful. For me, I have some food allergies, just regular old food allergies that people have. And, and what I've kind of found helpful for me is to think about things that are very high in salt, like I do for my food allergies, as in they're really not an option to eat. And you know they can cause a lot of damage, both short-term and long-term. So things that I like to do with grocery stores, I actually love grocery store shopping. I very much stay away from any frozen meats or frozen chicken or frozen turkey. Often you will find those are pumped with extra salt so that they can last for you know lots of time. So what I'll do is I'll just make sure I'll buy the fresh equivalent. I'll buy the fresh breasts of chicken or whatever it is. I freeze it by myself. And that way I still have it and I can grab it, you know, for something quick, but I don't have to worry about having pre-marinated items that really just are a function of the salt and preserving them. I also love to buy lots of herbs, both dry spices and fresh herbs. It's unbelievable how much flavor they can give you and transform your food. 
Um, so I always keep in stock sort of like garlic, paprika, oregano, thyme, a few basics. That way I can always make my food just taste yummy without having to miss any of the sodium. My best trick, I think, is lemons. <laughs> I find it to be a wonderful salt substitute, especially on any fresh vegetables or other things like that. If I make a soup on my own, I squeeze fresh lemon in it. I never don't have a refrigerator without lots of lemons. Some things that I try to avoid that you might not think about as being super salty, like a bag of potato chips we all associate with salt, things like bread, salad dressings, tomato sauce in a jar, even cereal. I just stay away from those and I'm very cognizant at looking at brands and ones that have either low sodium or none at all. Or I think of equivalent ways to make my own oatmeal or whatever it is that I want without all the preservatives and fillers and the prepackaged stuff, which really just has lots of salt. So those are really some of my best tips, I think, in terms of grocery shopping. These are really, really great tips from someone who really seems to know their stuff. Louise, let's go back to you about shopping and what patients should look for on a food label. So one of the simplest things we try to do is advise people and patients to look for sodium that's less than the calories on the label. So as a kind of an example, if we're looking at like a 2,000, 2,500 calorie diet, on food labels, if you think of that daily value that's labeled there, then eating less sodium than calories should put you under most recommendations of less than 2,300 milligrams per day, going by that guideline. But some other key things to note that we've used and advise is that some of the best products that we've found are the no salt added products that contain no sodium chloride. And if any at all, it's kind of natural in those products or foods sodium-free products, which are typically less than five milligrams of sodium per serving, also very low sodium that contain less than 35 milligrams of sodium per serving. And then there's low sodium that are less than 140 milligrams per serving. Examples of application, I've helped patients make low sodium pepperoni pizzas, and these aren't from scratch. These are using some of the low sodium crusts or tomato sauce and pepperoni as well. Some other label items to look at for that are sometimes okay is the reduced or lower sodium products. And these labels typically mean that the sodium has been reduced about 25% per serving from an original or a competitor product. There's a product that's started at over 500 milligrams, then it might be somewhere close to 375 per serving. So light sodium is another label that is similar to reduced or less sodium, and that's been reduced by at least 50%. It's important to be aware that the percent daily value on the label is based on the upper recommended limit, which is 2,400 milligrams. So later stages of chronic kidneys may need to be cautious on sodium-reduced products, such as those containing potassium chloride, which could raise blood potassium called hyperkalemia. Some other sneaky sodium contributor examples to kind of finish off here are sodium nitrates, sodium citrates, monosodium glutamate, as we mentioned earlier, sodium benzoate, baking powder, baking sodas. Okay, so you kind of brought this up. It seems like a, a large part of reducing sodium intake is going to be reducing salt intake. What about salt substitutes? What can you say about that? So there are... Salt substitutes that can be very helpful and palatable to some. So 
for added flavor in their foods. When trying to follow low sodium diet, these might be labeled specifically salt substitute. And those would be primarily potassium chloride, but some may contain potassium chloride, sodium chloride, so table salt, some combination or ne neither of those. So there are other great salt substitutes that really fall into the categories of more seasonings and spices actually. So if you think about Mrs. Dash and other spice or flavor type ingredients based on your geographic region. I think Christina brought some of this up before. Utilizing seasonings or spices in, in, in place of salt may actually season the food enough to, for it to be tasty and not to miss that salt. Let's get on with the difficulties of, of a reduction of sodium intake. I know firsthand that behavior change is hard. Beth, as a social worker, what kind of psychosocial challenges have you seen in your patients when trying to manage dietary sodium? And one of the most common things that people with chronic kidney disease or end-stage renal disease have is depression. They found through research that about 20% of CKD, early stage CKD patients are depressed. And when you're depressed or you are anemic, like a lot of people with chronic kidney disease are then you may not be as energetic or motivated to do all the things that Christina does so well. You know, Christina loves to shop at the grocery store, but some patients may not have the energy to spend a lot of time doing that. And when you're going around reading labels, looking at the sodium content of foods, that takes time. You know, those people sometimes will reach for the things that are packaged and that are easy or they'll eat at fast food restaurants. We've also got patients that do enjoy socializing with their friends or family. A lot of that socialization involves food. People may be reluctant to ask their friends or family to cook special things for them or to change their recipes to reduce the sodium, and they don't want to feel different. And then we've got the people that live in isolated rural areas where there isn't a large grocery store nearby, or they're in a food desert in the city in an urban area. And they may you know, not have a good grocery store nearby. So then you run into situations where they don't have the transportation to get to the food, the wide variety is of food. So then they go to the convenience stores. And I don't know if you've looked in the convenience store for anything that's low sodium, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find much. Some people go to food pantries and the food pantries don't have low sodium food typically. Um, I had patients that would tell me they got a great big wedge of cheese in the food pantry. And I'm like, wow, that's not only got sodium, but phosphorus. So, And then we've got the people that are getting what's now called SNAP, which is food stamps. And you have to be pretty darn poor to be able to um, get food stamps. So the federal poverty level is 130% of federal poverty, which is not a lot of money. And you may get as much as $250 in food stamps. Today, with the price of food, if you go to the grocery store, you can spend $100 in like no time. So we've got to try to understand the challenges that our patients have and really give them credit for the efforts that they make. Behavior change, like you said, Brian, behavior change isn't easy. And our patients often are doing the best that they can do. And if we try to understand what their 
challenges are, and the social worker and the dietitian typically will work together on trying to help people overcome those challenges. Thank you so much, Beth. It definitely is important that we keep in mind the difficulties some patients might have with following a, a, a low-sodium diet for us to be aware of this and, and help them and maybe get help early and a social worker involved early. Luis, is there anything from a dietitian standpoint that you see in your patients? Yeah, so some of my points kind of reemphasize a lot of those that uh, Beth just mentioned. So, But to start, the taste of high-sodium foods has been a top challenge and barrier to reducing salt intake that I think that we'll kind of talk a, bit, a little bit about later. Poor appetite has also been a big one. Some patients only eat one or two meals per day, not the typical three meals and snacks. As I kind of mentioned before, processed foods, and we've talked about are convenient and eating these might be quicker. High sodium foods uh, may be cheaper at times too. And I've also had patients that went across the street to Burger King because it was quick and tasted good. But nowadays for drive through sometimes the lines can be longer than preparing a snack or meal at home the night before. So that's one thing to think about. It can also take a few weeks for people to adjust or overcome their preference for salty foods. So other times patients have kind of struggled and verbalized difficulty with the complexity of renal restrictions, kind of asking, you know, what foods can they really eat with all the different restrictions in addition to the sodium restriction. Yeah, that, those would be potassium, phosphorus, and other nutrient restrictions, whether they have heart disease or diabetes and things like that. Some other challenges in the dialysis population is that patients after treatments might be too washed out to shop or cook. I've had a lot of patients report not using the salt shaker, as I kind of mentioned, but which is a minimal contributor to sodium in the diet, but it's actually something that can help with the palatability of foods on a low sodium diet at times. It was kind of mentioned traveling to the grocery store is a challenge that we see a lot. It does that difficulty finding low sodium foods and products in the grocery stores. And so an outpatient renal diet dialysis dietitian, for example, isn't always afforded the time to do things like home visits and grocery stores to really help, help the patients or cooking demonstrations in those facilities. But part of the dietitian's job is to help the patients find the foods they want to eat for the medical issues and management that they have and that they need. Absolutely. It seems like there are difficulties with both the social worker aspect and dietitian aspect and just in general important to consider when a patient is placed on a, a low salt diet. Luis, specifically regarding when you see patients, what specific recommendations do you usually give them to help them achieve this low sodium diet? We start with the uh, quantity of sodium consumed when eating out and shopping strategies to, to reduce. So those label reading strategies and the sodium to calorie ratios that I mentioned earlier and putting that into practice. And next is kind of reducing or choosing the best or the lowest sodium processed foods. If we are going to go with processed foods and suggesting those products. So we kind of mentioned some of the low, no salt products, which could be pepperoni, low salt chips, things like that. Deli meats, there are a few low to no salt deli meats that are out there now, but they're pretty rare to find. Taco ingredients can be low sodium. So it's challenging, but doable. And it's important to note that there are added costs to some of these products as well, which could be a barrier. 
Another strategy is low sodium cooking strategies, which would include herbs, seasoning, spices, mustache, um, and those ingredients and recipes, as we've kind of mentioned. Kind of one that we haven't mentioned so far is portion sizing and frequency management. So that means that instead of having more protein or high sodium carbohydrate options or grains with their food, people can add some more salad or fruit or vegetables. So for example, three or four slices of like a pepperoni or meat lovers pizza might put someone over their daily sodium limit, but we're focusing on maybe one or two slices with, you know, two cups of salad, a side of fruit, a beverage that might not necessarily put somebody over their kind of recommendations or limits and still fill them up and be a palatable option. We can also request recipe modifications, recipes, or restaurants to modify their food, depending on the willingness of some of these uh, locations. So working with a dietitian kind of helps take the burden off the patient where the dietitian can help make these changes as a kind of a supporting partner and in incremental steps if needed. Excellent advice for, for all patients. Christina, let's get back to you. You gave some great tips and advice about grocery shopping and cooking. What tips can you share about going out to a restaurant? Absolutely. I just wanted to add one quick comment. One thing I've learned in the last like 20 years is Amazon has become a real friend to me in terms of searching no salt items to your point about sometimes, and to your point, Beth, folks can't get to a grocery store or as we all experienced during the pandemic, lots and lots of lockdown time. I have found some wonderful items on Amazon, just looking up no salt foods, things like no salt ketchup, things like no salt Mrs. Dash taco mix and no salt soups actually that, are, that come in and you just add a little lemon and a little maybe garlic powder to it and pepper and they're delicious. Because I think we all need to have some, some emergency foods at our house where you can't always, you know, whoop up something homemade. But I have found keeping a stock of these items, you know, a, a box of spaghetti and any of these items can make for a real nice quick dinner when you're not feeling so well or when you're home. But restaurants, great question, Brian. So I have a couple of quick tips that I use in terms of going out. And I live in the New York area and all my family and friends are here and I, I like to be part of, you know, things. I always kind of look at it as I want to be part of an experience and seeing people. And I just deprioritize the importance of food in all of those things. But one thing I do is I call ahead. If I know a restaurant that I'm going to in advance or there's a, you know, a party or a birthday or something, I call ahead and I, I speak with the manager. I share that I'm a kidney patient and I'm on a very restricted diet and I give them the time to think about something you know, before I show up. And I find you have so many people that are willing to help you and support you and maybe bring together a protein and a starch, like a potato without all the salt and all the brine and things that are done. I've also learned just over the years, I traveled a lot for business and I kind of had to figure some things out at regular sort of restaurants and perhaps chains like California Pizza Kitchen. I'm very inquisitive to ask about the cooking process. So if you're boiling spaghetti in a restaurant, are you adding salt to that pot? Could you make a pot for me without the salt in it? And you'd be surprised. People are very willing. They may say, oh, it'll take a little longer. And I say, that's okay. I'm not going anywhere. And they know you're a good customer and people generally care and know that it's something serious if you're bringing it to their attention. So another thing I do is I try to order similar things that are on the menu, but with a twist. So maybe it's a protein and roasted potatoes and a salad 
but I'm specifically asking for my salad with dressing on the side and just getting olive oil and red wine vinegar. And I, of course, always am ordering lemons at a restaurant. And then perhaps my potato isn't the same marinated, buttery, salty version that everyone's eating, but is a fresh baked potato that they've, they've prepared for me because I called ahead and I'm adding you know, some fresh chives or olive oil to it. Another tip that I always have is I like to treat myself. I think it's important and I think it just makes you happy and feels good. So if I know I'm going out to eat that night or maybe there's a, you know, a birthday affair or something, I'll kind of monitor whatever sodium I've had throughout the day. And I'll say to myself, okay, I'm going to be really good. I called ahead. The restaurant's got something for me. I'm going to have a piece of their bread. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'll treat myself to the baguette bread that comes in the beginning and just enjoy it and not stress about the fact that yes, it has a little salt. And my final sort of tip in terms of restaurants or eating out or fast foods is avoid soups when you're eating out. I'd stay away from deli meats at like a big delicatessen unless you can specify low sodium versions. But those are just things that I, I prefer making soup at home Then I know what's in it. And so those are some of the things that I do to just try to make it easier, you know, when wanting to be social and, you know, feel normal, yet follow what you should be doing for your health. Absolutely. Those are excellent tips and excellent recommendations. Moving on to just any other tips, tricks, and solutions that anyone else might want to share. Okay, so this is Beth, the social worker on the team. As I mentioned before, behavior change is difficult. It's important that we acknowledge that, that we recognize what people are doing to try to control their uh, sodium intake. Um, at the same time, we can counter that with a positive message that if patients are able to limit their sodium, they're going to more likely feel better, they're going to have less swelling, their blood pressure is going to be lower, they're not going to have to take the costly drugs that people have to take to manage their blood pressure. And, and they also sometimes have unwanted side effects that people don't like. So controlling their sodium can have a positive impact on their life. So I have a resource that I would like to share. There is a, a nutrition counter that the American Association of Kidney Patients puts out. It's available online on the AKP.org website, or you can order it in a print version for a dollar and a half. And actually, the United States Department of Agriculture has something called Food Data Central, where patients can look up the sodium content of foods in an alphabetical list. It's an uh, excellent resource. Louise, is there anything you want to add as a last-minute tips, tricks, or solutions? Well, I can add about a, a study that we did, given all the barriers and challenges that we've talked about uh, with counseling and patients trying to reduce sodium intake on their own. We did a study where we provided the low sodium meals. So when you think about the dialysis population and all the challenges, that's not to say that you, you don't try to follow the diet and things like that. But when we provided these low sodium meals, about three meals per day, some patients ate closer to two for about four weeks, uh, we found um, that some of the key findings were that patients reduced their blood pressure anywhere from 10 to 20 points uh, systolic and diastolic with about a liter less fluid within their body. And so some studies have kind of suggested that 
maybe like three to four weeks to reduce your sodium salt sensitivity or preference. So we can say like anecdotally in that trial that we did in Illinois, that patients felt better, their technicians, their nurses reported that the patients were making amazing changes after years of work and struggling kind of with their diet. And so we did that in, in the, over the course of a month and found some of those benefits. And so that study and other similar studies that we did were only possible with the support of the, the technicians, with nurses in the field of CKD, social workers, and dietitians. But most importantly, I thank the patients for their willingness to participate in all that work. That definitely is an interesting study. As I understand, Finland has actually implemented a low-sodium strategy. Roberto, can you tell me a little bit about this? Right. It's always nice, right, Brian, when, when we, we find a country that has done like a national program to deal with uh, this problem, and there's already some results of that program. So I, I find the, you know, the, the story of Finland quite fascinating. A couple of decades ago, actually, there, there was a decision from their public healthcare system to really work on salt reduction program. It was like a layered approach. And uh, the first thing that they did, that was the first uh, phase of their program was actually to increase awareness. So this is kind of like what we're doing here today, right? Mm -hmm. So kind of like speaking about it and they use TVs, they use radio, they use many different strategies just to increase the awareness that, um, that high sodium intake was bad for their health. And the second thing that they did was to work together with the food industry, the local food industry which is actually perhaps one of the toughest things to do because it, it causes a, an increase in the cost of production. And, you know, it's not, not always easy to really try to convince people. So there was a, was a huge effort to do that and to get people on board in terms of really trying to identify ways of producing, preserving food in a way that would be cost effective. But it was done. And uh, in the third uh, phase, uh, they actually really tried to implement different measures, lots of things that we discussed here. And then since the population was already, already aware of the problem, it was easier for people to adhere. The interesting thing is after almost um, 15 years of program, they actually started to see a reduction in the incidence of strokes, uh, heart attacks, and kidney disease in the population, which is really impressive, really noticeable, even at, at the national level, which really shows that, you know, not only we, we do know it's a problem, we know how to do it, but if you do it, you can actually really move the needle, which is fascinating. Yeah, that is. It's nice to know that these recommendations are, are in place for a reason, and a country that did do it did see results. And so it's important for every patient to be aware that, the, you know, there are results of this and beneficial results to, uh, to accomplish this. It, it definitely seems that a low sodium goal for a patient is not only the work of the physician, but also dietitian and, and social work. Uh, it is critically important to acknowledge the problems or the challenges patients might have with accomplishing a, a low sodium diet. And understanding these challenges could possibly help us deliver better care if we work as a group to, to kind of approach them. 
first of all, I want to thank everyone on our panel for their contributions to this important discussion. And to all our listeners, thank you for joining us on this ride of the Kidney Commute. Remember, eligible audiences can earn CE credit for listening to this episode by clicking the link in the episode description. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, please email the team at nkfpodcast at kidney.org. Stay tuned for future huddles. And in the meantime, continue to let new perspectives inspire your practice.